We don't come to church because it's a great show. We come because we love Jesus. And I encourage response and amens and all the rest of it, and that's great. But don't be amening loads if you're not prepared to live it. If you're not prepared to walk it out there. And actually, one of the things about what we need, and, and as John Lancaster on the film said, one of our oldest pastors in Elam, as John said, we, we'll use all the technology. But you know what? We need to be absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We need to be true to the Word of God. We need to have a life of holiness. If you believe that, then it's time for you to kind of just halfway through this year, we're six months in, to reset your sail a bit for the rest of the year and to begin to say, I'm just stopping. I'm just stopping my rush, my thinking. I'm going to just put my holiday off my mind for a while And I'm just saying, can I reset and recalibrate my life? I don't know whether... How many of you got an Apple iPhone? You got an Apple iPhone? Uh, Are you part of that family? What a great family we are, us Apple people. If If you're an Android phone user, yeah, you know... Do, do, I don't know whether they, like, is HTC, is that Hairdressers Technology Club? Is that what that stands for? I don't know. But if, you, have you got, if you've got an Apple iPhone, I don't know whether you ever download anything. Do, do they download apps on Android? Do they ever upgrade? Or are they, or are they still working? On, you know, when I was growing up, they used to have like a, a switchboard where you had a wire, you pull it out of one hole... I'll connect you now and connect it. That's what I think the Android system is, you know. That's what they do. They go, oh, I'll click it out. And oh, oh, Doris, I'll just connect you now. So if you do download any apps, what happens on Apple, and if it happens on Android, then, you know, God bless you. What happens is, is that they always say, or if you get an upgrade, they're always upgrading, aren't they? I'm thinking, can't you get it right the first time? They're always upgrading. They always say, do you agree to the terms and conditions? Have you noticed that? Now, be honest with me. How many of you read the terms and conditions before clicking agree? Right, there's one here that needs prayer for healing. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? You read the terms and conditions. You know... Some of us have agreed, and in those terms and conditions, you've given away your grandchildren. They belong to Apple. (laughs) They've they've already said, and at the third generation, we now own your children. Because you never read the terms and conditions. 
You know, I want to say to you that I, I, as I was thinking about this, I believe there are some people that you've agreed with some terms and conditions unwillingly and unwittingly. And you've agreed with them because you just want to get on with your life. And there's some terms and conditions in your past. There's some terms and conditions in your family. There's some terms and conditions in your history that you now need to say, actually, I don't agree with that. I'm not accepting that download. That's not coming in. And there are some terms and conditions that God said when he gave the Holy Spirit that we need to say, I agree with this and I'm walking in this. I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm getting a divine download and I don't want to cheapen it by using that. But I'm getting that divine download. It's upgrading me on the inside and now I'm going to walk in the terms of conditions of that download. Can I hear an amen? You need to walk... The way the scripture says, well, if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here are some of the blueprints that you're going to have to walk in. Now, uh, you know this scripture, you could quote it, I'm sure you can. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Actually, the word witnesses means the word martyr. It means that I would give my life for this. I I am pouring my life out for this. That's what the word witness is. It doesn't mean, the word witness doesn't mean, when it suits me, I'll let everybody know. No, it's not. We get our word martyr from it, and it means I am pouring my life out for this. You are my witnesses. And then he says, in Jerusalem, and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you can go there quickly, go to Luke chapter 24, and in verse 47... He's kind of halfway through a sentence there. He says, you'll preach repentance. Repentance means you've got to change your mind about how life works. It doesn't mean just feel bad. It means, no, actually, life works differently, and I'm going to get into that. And you'll preach forgiveness of sins. Isn't it great that God forgives? How many times have we preached about the angry God? But he's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He loves you. He cares about you. I don't know what you've had, what sort of week you've had, but he's a forgiving God. He's a caring God. For the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in all nations. And then he says this, beginning at Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that. The disciples could have been tempted to just go off in all places, but he actually says, I want you to begin here. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a download and an upgrade And I want to talk to you today about some of the lessons about that. But when you think of it, Jesus asked his disciples to start in Jerusalem. Now, it's a good teaching, and we've we've all preached it this way. And we've all said, like, you know, Jerusalem, where you live, Judea, you know, go to work, uh, Samaria, those people who don't like you, the other parts of the world, be faithful there. But I want you to think about something. Jerusalem was not their home. It was not where they were from. In fact, just earlier, in, uh, or just a bit later in the book of Acts, it says, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking ahead? 
The 11 disciples who were left at that uh, moment, they were all from Galilee. They were fishermen, farmers, tax collectors, etc. But they were from the area of Galilee. And what seems to have happened is, Jesus was crucified, dead and buried. And when he rose from the dead, they were in Jerusalem. And shockingly, they met him with great fear, but with joy. And said, he's alive. It's fantastic. And he spoke to them in Jerusalem. And then actually, if you read Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, he says, I want you to go ahead of me in Galilee and I want you to meet you up there. And I'm going to have some meetings with you on a mountain that we've already planned to meet at. So they all go to Galilee. In fact, Peter gets restored while he's fishing up there. And they have several meetings up there. And then towards the end of the 40 days before Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, having given infallible proofs of being alive, then at the end of that, they, he takes them back to Jerusalem and says, I'm going to meet you there. And that's where he speaks at these promises. Now, what he could have done is they could have said, oh, can't we just start here in Galilee? We do believe you. And, and can't we just, we've got family here. We're familiar with how it goes here. Can't we just start where it's familiar? But actually, he takes them back to Jerusalem and says, start here. This is your starting point. Jerusalem, the place where it was not their home, where the temple was, where all the priests were who killed Jesus, where the people were the authorities, the cultural center. It was the place where every time they looked up and they'd see that hill of Golgotha and hear in their spirits, oh, we ran away. We weren't there. It's that place of their failure. It's that place where they could have said, oh, can't we just, we're not that strong yet, Lord, but fill us with the Holy Spirit up here where we know everybody and let's start from a a base of strength. But God says, Jesus says, No, I don't want you to marginalize your call and take your life back to comfort zone familiar faces. But I want you to go to an important place, a hard place, and just start there. Can I say to you that you have an assignment? The Christian life works in rhythms, seasons, and assignments. You you have to have a rhythm to your life. There'll be seasons in your life, and there are assignments in life. Can you just receive that? Just I don't know how to how can I press that into your spirit? Can you just say to yourself, rhythms, seasons, and assignments? And I just, yeah, well, okay, you can do it out loud. I wasn't really meaning you to do that, but thank you for being so kind to me. Uh, Why don't we do it out loud? Rhythms. Seasons, assignments, and those three things happen all at once. And that's how God does life. Now, I want to say to you that you haven't just got a job, you've got an assignment. I want to say to you that you're not just retired, you're assigned to give God more time. Amen. I want to say to you, these people who are just graduating, they're not graduating, they're being assigned. 
And I want to say to you that Jerusalem, what Jesus is doing is saying, no, no, this is your assignment for now. It's more than just, oh, they were all friendly there. They weren't friends there. In fact, there was a time during Jesus' ministry, they were afraid to go to Jerusalem because they'll be killed. If you remember, when Jesus was being crucified, that the servant girl and some of the other people who were crucifying Jesus saying, aren't you one of those Galileans? You don't belong here. Aren't you part of this mess? And Jesus sends them right back there. I want to ask you, where's your important place? Where's your hard place? Where's the place where you are tempted to just put Jesus under a blanket and not show him off? I wonder if at your workplace, where's that place where you need to say, if I can get it right there, I'll get it right everywhere else. I wonder if there's a place where you have to establish your witness, establish your life, and if you don't do it there, you won't really do it. I wonder if there's a certain friend or a a relationship or anything that you just always compromise in, and God says, it's not that I want you to walk away from it, I want you to put it right I want you to heal it and be a witness there. And and like John Lancaster said, we are going past the time in our nation where you can just come to church and fit it in. You have to begin to say, I want to be a committed disciple in order to move this forward or to bless your life forward, actually. That could be your home where you have to establish a witness. But what we're talking about today is if you won't do it there, you won't really do it. And it's the place where you have to establish your foundations. It's the place where if I do that there, I can do it anywhere. I want to remember being really convicted to witness to my family. And it was the most wooden witnessing experience you know how you're supposed to have a coffee and talk about sport and then talk about cinema and then just kind of sneak Jesus in and and kind of do it you know naturally and the Lord really said you have never really spoken to your brother so I bought them a books I sent it to them in the post and then I went and made appointments with them and followed it up I once remember witnessing to my mom. This was before, you know, I led my mom to the Lord, but way before this, this was. It was the most wooden witnessing experience, but I was doing it out of obedience because if I couldn't witness there, I couldn't witness. I was kind of preaching to crowds, but my own family, I had never told them that Jesus loved them. I had to put something in order, church. And I'm just wondering... What's your starting place? What have you neglected? What have you said, oh no, they're not interested, that's not. What is that? 
I, I talked to my mom and, and I said, Jesus loves you, mom. And she says, oh, soft lad, I don't want to know anything about that. And she was saying, oh, are you having a revival? She was making fun of me. But I said, and God loves you and he forgives you and he wants you to come to him. And she said, oh, I'm not interested in that at all. But I did it. And it wasn't that pleasant, but it broke something in me about fear. Can I call you back today to a starting place? Can I call you back to the place where you say, I need to serve you there and I need to get it right? Now, I'm not saying that you go into work tomorrow and and start a revival meeting and go, Hallelujah, everybody, let's have a prayer meeting. We've got to be wise, but we've also got to be definite when opportunities come up. It's almost like what Jesus is doing here. It's like an induction. He's saying, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. Start in this place that's difficult. And I'm going to teach you how you're going to carry on from that place. And and today, I I want to say that the the life of the disciples in in Jerusalem was not very cozy. It was a very varied, varied experience. Lots of things happened. Brilliant things happened. And then difficult things happened. But it was a place where they set their beliefs out And they set their expectations out. It was a place where they would learn how they could deal with God and God would deal with them. And it was the template and the blueprint of how they would go on to serve him. Have any any of you been to an induction for a job? How they kind of say, this is what we expect. On the front row, you'll notice Alicia and back in the sound desk, there's Josh there. And they're working with us over the summer. And, uh, you know, we only sent them an email that was 17 pages long with 15 subpoints of how to work in BCC. Okay, that was a joke. It didn't go down that well. Some of you are thinking, oh, I bet he's like that, that Pastor Mark. I bet he did. Did you go to your job and have an induction where they say, this is where you start, this is where the canteen is, this is the uniform? Today, lots of young people were going to school and they would have worn their own clothes all of their lives. Look at my granddaughter. She loves butterflies and stripes. I can't think of a school uniform that's going to be like that. She's going to have to get out of that. Maybe we should start one. There's an induction, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I want you to be filled with the Spirit, and then automatically, in Jerusalem, I just want to bring up four quick lessons of what they learn just from the Spirit. Now today, I'm not really teaching. Today, I'm encouraging. And today, I'm reminding. So, you know, for those of you who want a really deep sermon, well, this is deep, but just, I just want you to let me encourage you today. The first lesson that they learned was they expected God to move all the time. Remember when you were a young Christian that you thought that the air bristled and tingled with God and you thought God could do anything? Well, that's actually what the disciples did. Now, God doesn't do everything, but he can do anything. And he can minister to you. 
Here in Jerusalem, they had breakthrough and miracles. When people asked them for money and they said, uh, can you give me some arms and then, or give me some money because I'm poor, they would say, well, we don't have any, but what we can do is we'll pray for you and see if God will heal you if you're a cripple. They just expected things. And when they, when they said, saw somebody in need, they, they expected and said, oh, the right thing to do is to take care of that person. And so in the, in the book of Acts, it said not one of them had any needs amongst them. They didn't all just go back to their homes and say, well, that's their fault or I don't know what's going on with them. They expected to look after others. Their expectation level was really high. And I want to say something to BCC today. I want to say, bring your faith up. Come on, I know that some of you have had some hard knocks and you've, you have learned in wisdom that God doesn't answer miracle prayers every day. We understand that. But has that made it so that you don't expect any at all? Has it made it so that you don't expect God to break through at all? Somebody shout no, please. You know, God wants to break in and do important things, miraculous things for you, despite disappointments. He still wants to do that. And the first lesson that we can learn from the Jerusalem blueprint is, God is a God of the breakthrough and the break in, and he wants to do that now. The people in the, the disciples, when the, when the apostles were taken into prison, the disciples didn't get up a petition and begin to think, well, how can we appeal to the priests? They went in a room and prayed. And there's a famous release of Peter, but actually it says that all the apostles were teaching in the temple courts and the temple guards took them and put them all into prison. And the, and the, the early church Without any leaders, this was the church on its own. All their leaders had been taken away. I mean, this might be an answer of prayer to you, but what if Paula and Sarah and Nick and myself were suddenly thrown into prison and George was thrown into prison and you had, and all the elders, the vagabonds that they are, were scooped up and taken into prison and Roy and Jason were taken into prison. Would this church say, well, what shall we do? Would we be saying, well, who's going to lock up? Who's going to open up? Or would we come together and pray and say, Lord, release our leaders? That's kind of what happened. And so some of you are kind of sitting there going, hmm, leaders in prison. I wonder if that's the way to pray. So all the leaders were in prison. And the church get together and pray. The, it says, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord, which some people uh, actually refer to Jesus, the angel of the Lord comes, opens up the prison door, all the apostles go out. They don't go out and say, Whoo, let's get out of here. They go back to the temple courts where they were arrested and start teaching again. Read it, it's in Acts 3 and 4. And they all start teaching again. The priests go into the jail and say, right, let's tell those scoundrels off. They open the door, they're not there. So where are they? They're teaching in the temple courts, witnessing again. You see, what's your expectation? Is your expectation is, keep quiet, don't trouble anybody. Our expectation, BCC, let me do this. Bring your faith level up. Come on, bring your faith up. 
Expect that breakthrough. Expect that miracle. Expect God to get involved in your life. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering of praise, please. The first lesson of Jerusalem is that, well, God's, Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's filled us with the Spirit, so we expect him to be involved in our lives. Let's keep our expectations up. Now, in wisdom, we're going to have to say, well, sometimes we're going to have to endure some things. I'm going to take that in a moment. But can we, as a baseline, as a blueprint, as the way that we carry on now, say, well, I expect God to do something about this. I expect God to speak to me about this. I am tired of heaven being silent. Even if I don't get the answer I want, I'm going to get the word that I need. Amen? Second lesson. It was a place where they not only experienced spontaneity and established and, and, and breakthrough miracles, but they established healthy rhythms to their life. One of the most famous passages in Acts chapter 2, it's almost like nobody taught them this. It says that they met together regularly, every day actually, in temple courts, and they ate in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to one another in prayer. They prayed and worshipped, broke bread, had fellowship together, and they automatically set their lives around a rhythm. In this place, in that Jerusalem place, they met together and established ongoing health and not just lived off the adrenaline of miracles all the time. They weren't the sort of church that said, oh, when it gets cooking, then I'll show up. They were the sort of church that said, you know what, I'm going to feed myself and regularly be in a rhythm of meeting." I want to say to you, this church, no church, will do you any good if you just dip in and out all the time. It won't do you any good. Can I hear an amen? Now, I know work schedules and I know lives and all the rest of it. But if you just access it now and again and you have no rhythm to your life, And actually in your personal life, if there's no kind of sense of, well, every day I pray or every day I read my Bible or every day I look out for somebody, every, as much as I can, I try and witness to people. There are no rhythms. If it just becomes a kind of, well, I just see what happens, then you've got to build into your life some rhythms. And when the Holy Spirit's really filling you, those rhythms will come. It's a place where they set up leaders and had structures. They already started a food bank before we even thought of it. A few, a few uh, weeks after uh, the Holy Spirit coming, the church began to feed people and care for widows. In fact, it became so popular, that program, that they began to miss some people out, and some people started to complain. The apostles didn't react to that complaining. This was the answer to complaining. They said, can we get some more people to help us, because we need to stay focused on what we're doing. And I just wonder, as our church grows and more things happen, it will take more people to say, well, listen, I maybe can't do what Pastor Mark does, but I can do this. You see, 
rhythms and patterns emerge when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just all bookshop miracles happening all over the place, although we pray for the God of the breakthrough. So I want to say to you today, I'm just reminding you, I'm not really teaching today, I'm just encouraging. Why don't you get back to the place in your life where you have a rhythm of receiving teaching, of receiving prayer, of receiving worship, of being in fellowship and witnessing regularly. You know, I just think, uh, I just love Themi and Alan, you know. Uh, Themi's this Greek lady here on the front. And, you know, she's been saved since the 1970s, you know, which is like somewhere in the last century. Some, you know, but you don't look at Themi. You just look like you're 21 or something. Okay, okay, get it. Come on, church, you've got to come with me on these things. You know, and like Femi, she, every single week, I, mean, I don't think there's a week that goes by and says, oh, Pastor Mark, let me tell you this, about how she's witnessing to somebody and how she's sharing. Somebody fr- uh, fractured a pipe in her driveway the other day. Instead of complaining, she gives him a Bible and, you know, begins to start witnessing to the guy. What, what I'm trying to say to you is you've got to build in regular rhythms of witnessing. Now, church, I'm just encouraging you today and reminding you of what you already know. First lesson, let's get our faith up. Second lesson, let's build some healthy rhythms in our life. Third lesson, in Jerusalem, it was a place of opposition. It was a place of where the apostles did not have it all their own way. And there are some people in your workplace, in your life, that never mind whether or not you have miracles or, or whatever, there'll be some people who are going to say, no. There are some people who are going to say, I don't want nothing to do with this. Can I ask you, Is that you today? Have you come and you've been polite, but actually all this singing and clapping is not your deal, and you're trying to say, this can't be right. I want to say to you and appeal to you today that Jesus is witnessed to more than any other historical figure, that the resurrection is witnessed to more than any other event. There is more evidence for Jesus than there is Julius Caesar. And I want to say to you today that we're not just happy, clappy people who've got pie-in-the-sky ideas, that our faith is grounded on something real. And that God is alive and he wants to speak to you. But no matter how much God speaks, some people go, no. And if you've got some of those people in your life, you have to stand with grace and conviction. Stop making their no define your joy and your life. See, the apostles, you know one of the things that happened with the apostles? They got beaten for for preaching the gospel, and they said this. They said, we count it worthy, that we're worthy to be beaten 
some of us would be going, what about HR? What about health and safety? What about my rights? What about, what about me? You can't do that. We've got so many human legislation. The apostle said, I've just been beaten for Jesus. What a privilege. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of our legislation is not good. And we do need those boundaries. And those boundaries help our world. But what I'm saying to you, in your heart, stop complaining about the people who are rejecting the message and make it so that you can stand in grace and conviction. Because I have lived with somebody who has rejected me, rejected my life, all of my life, and finally she gave in and now she's in heaven. You've got to keep living it. You are going to suffer opposition. And you now have to decide as a part of the blueprint, how am I going to stand in it? How am I going to be gracious in it? Last lesson. One of the things that we learned about the early church was, is the key lesson from Jerusalem is, it became a place which was underpinned with prayer all the time. They prayed about everything. They had a strong commitment to prayer. It says in one of the chapters, just um, this message is about the first seven chapters of Acts, that they, the place where they prayed shook. It's because they, they were completely committed to praying about everything. In fact, the Holy Spirit came in a prayer meeting. They prayed later on for the release of Peter. They didn't set a petition going. They had a petition to the Father. And so I want to say to you in BCC, I think we've all got to individually and collectively bring our prayer life up. Will you stand with me and come on, worship team. I just want you to focus for a moment. Four simple lessons from the Jerusalem experience. The early disciples thought that prayer was the key when things went wrong. And they thought it was the rhythm during things going right. In chapter 2, they all were together in one place and their hearts were in unity and they were all asking and seeking God. In chapters 3 and 4, when the apostles were being persecuted, they took it to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, Stephen was chosen and Stephen, as he was witnessing, did extraordinary miracles. And there's always people, it doesn't matter how many miracles there are, who say no. Imagine, you see, you've got to hear this. Jesus was the most beautiful person. I don't know, wherever you are in this building today, Jesus would appeal to you if you'd met him. And he can appeal to you now. You know, we, we paint this picture of Jesus standing in a nighty, looking a bit docile. And some guys who like rugby and so on would think, man, I don't want to get into that. 
But Jesus would appeal to you. He was beautiful. He was, he was wonderful. He was wise. He was kind. He was funny. He'd say, you'd have to put that through an eye of a needle to get that through there, oh rich man. And people would laugh at his jokes. He was tough. He was rugged. He could build houses. Literally. He was a man's man, but he could reach out to a a poor woman who'd suffered over 12 years from doctors. And and with compassion in his eyes, he could reach out and say, who touched me? And, And she was not embarrassed around him because he was so loving in the way that he dealt with her restoration. Somebody that that was accused of being a prostitute. We don't know whether she was or whether she wasn't. And they brought her out to be stoned and and be humiliated. And Jesus crouched down and started writing things and everybody walked away. And he said, he looked her in his eyes and said, neither do I condemn you. He was a wonderful, beautiful man. And you can receive something from him today. I don't mind or don't know what your personality is. But that wonderful Jesus can relate to you. If you're a musician, he can put the song in your heart. If you're in the army, he can fight for you. If you're an electrician, he can bring the power and the current in your life. If you're a chef, he's got the right ingredients for your life. If you're an architect, he can build your life and design the plan for it. If you're an astronomer, he's all got all the stars in his hand and he is the morning star. Whoever you are today, if you're a school teacher, he can teach you life lessons that you'll never forget. And if you're a sinner, he can forgive your heart and your soul. Because Jesus loves you today. He cares about you today. And he's the most beautiful person And they crucified him. What do you think you'll be like? You could be the best Christian, the most wonderful Christian. You could be the most slick Christian. You could be the most uh, intelligent Christian. You could be the most culturally relevant Christian. And somebody still is going to oppose you. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to stand and stand in grace. But if you'll stand being filled with the Holy Spirit, when opposition comes, you'll do it right and eventually God will break through. So the four little lessons today are, don't let's just mimic the early church. Let's bring our faith up. Let's just believe that God can move again in Birmingham. Let's believe that God can move in your place. Let's build some healthy rhythms in our lives. Let's stop saying that my job's the most important thing, therefore I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Why don't we say, God's the most important thing. Lord, will you teach me the rhythms of the life you want me? And let's begin to say, even though you oppose us, we will love you back. Let's stop being tired and complaining. Let's get out of the culture of this world that says nobody ever supposed to say anything against anyone. And if when people do against you, just stand and love them in Jesus' name. And let's underpin our lives with prayer. When the Holy Spirit fills us, 
He fills us so that we overflow. And part of that overflow isn't just witnessing horizontally. It's speaking vertically all the time to God saying, I'm in communication with you. Let's underpin everything in prayer. You know, some of the reason why there's some stuff in your family that's happening is because you haven't prayed about it yet. And God's holding it there and he's trying to teach you a dependence on him. So let's not just copy the early church. Let's do what they did and let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're filled with that download from heaven and we get that upgrade, then these are some of the things that we're going to live out. So I want to ask you something today. Where's your hard place? Where's the place that's difficult for you to serve God in? Ever so quietly, I want as many of you as can to just make your way forward and bring that hard place to God and saying, God, I'm, I'm pledging by your spirit to witness there and to live for you there. Where's your hard place? Is it your kids? Is it your auntie or somebody in your family? Is it your work? Just leave the seat where you're standing and just say, I'm bringing that hard place to you right now. If there's a place in your life where you say, you know what, that's difficult for me, but I'm giving it to you, God. Just do that right now. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, just come right forward. Is anybody else? You just say, I'm going to bring this place to you, God. You know what, guys? It's all women out here at the front. Where are the men? You've got no hard places where you want to serve God. Come on, just keep coming. See, let's get back to the start. Jesus said, wait there and you'll need my power. Let's not try and do all the right things without dependence upon his power. But let's begin to receive the Holy Spirit. Does anybody else wants to bring any other place to God? You see, you don't have to try on your own. You just have to come and be filled. We're all going to sing a song together. And that actually, if you guys will take a step forward, if you will, and just come closer to me. Just come closer. And then what I want to do is ask as many of you who will come and stand behind these folks because I want to ask the Lord to fill you as well. So please, will you just leave the seat where you're standing and just crowd around these folks, if you will. I'm going to ask the elders and the prayer team just to come and stand by these people and so on. But come on, just come and let's all worship here at the front, as many of us as we can. I believe I just want to take the church into a bit more of a seeking mode. Remember, Wednesday night, we want to underpin our church with prayer. So if you haven't been able to come yet, just come. Let's sing together, shall we? And let's worship him.